Our scripture reading this morning will be from John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 18. This is on page 1058 in the Pew Bible. 1058. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one <clears throat> has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So far the reading of our scripture this morning. Dear congregation, in the morning services we've had a taste of the book of Ezekiel. We've learned different lessons that we can learn and glean from the prophet Ezekiel. And this morning... I turn now to a a new series of messages then on these first chapters of the book of Genesis. Now we didn't read from Genesis, and I'll explain that shortly, but I would like to consider with you some of the issues and uh, teachings that God has for us in the book of Genesis. Some of this comes from the fact that we, my family and I just recently took a vacation to the Ark in Kentucky and the Creation Museum there. And you know that the whole premise of that institution there is answers in Genesis, right? That so much of what we think about in life and so much of what we practice in life finds its foundation and its basis in the book of Genesis. And whatever you think of of that organization, certainly that premise is, is certainly true. Answers in Genesis. There are so many answers that we find. Almost every issue we trace back to the book of Genesis. Now, as I begin this series, 
I do it with some hesitancy. In fact, I do it with a request, congregation, that you'd pray for me, that I would be able to explain these things clearly. There are deep, deep truths and also very controversial issues. And I never want to steer around those. I think you know me by now that I I really don't want to steer around those issues and act like they're not there, Uh, but to face them and to do so always in submission and independence upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God, our Teacher. And so with that, I would like then to to begin our study of the book of Genesis. Now you might wonder then why we didn't... uh, Well, I also have that, that quote there because it helps us understand the book of Genesis that so many truths have their genesis in Genesis, right? Which helps us to understand the very term Genesis, right? That it is a word referring to the origin, the beginnings of things. Now, as I consider then the book of Genesis and those first words, those grand words, in the beginning, I thought it's appropriate as we consider those words to look at John 1 verse 1. Now, why would we begin our study of Genesis in the book of John? The reason is very important, dear friends, and that is because before we talk about in the beginning and what follows, I would like to first lead you into an an understanding of in the beginning and what preceded. In other words, before creation, before time, before matter, What was before all that? And that's where the book of John is so helpful to us. Because Moses, in Genesis 1 verse 1, gives us in the beginning, and then forward, and then what follows? Day 1, day 2, day 3. But John, the author of John here, actually takes us before that. Because he takes us into the beginning, but looks backward at what went before that. Moses takes us from the beginning forward. John takes us from the beginning backward. And hence the title of the sermon this morning, Before the Beginning. Before the Beginning. So we begin our study of Genesis in the first verse of the book of John. So we won't look and say much about the book of Genesis today, but especially to focus on these words in John 1 and 1 verse 1 and the other scriptures that also speak to us about what was before the beginning. Well, in the book of, or in this verse that we are looking at then, you see in verse 1, in the beginning was. And that's why I say, congregation, that John is going to take us to the beginning and he's going to look backward. Because in the beginning, and then maybe I can slip that word in there, already was the word. The word was already there. Notice, dear friends, we do not read, in the beginning, the word came to be. Do you see the difference? Not in the beginning, the word came to be, but in the beginning, the word was. The word already was. The word was already there, before the beginning. In fact, the next clause teaches us And the Word was with God. Now, congregation, you talk about deep truths, right? It's like you can't even read three words in in John 1, verse 1, and you're way over your head already, aren't you? It's just, you know, here I am trying to to scratch the surface of these truths, right? And, uh, you know. 
But at any rate, so in the beginning was the Word. The Word already was. Even though the Word already makes no sense in this context, does it? Because time was not before creation. We have to use words and concepts that we can understand. You know, John Calvin said in his, in his institutes that God lisps to his children. He uses baby talk to his children, to us, so that we can understand just a little of what took place in his work and in his mind. But at any rate, let's continue then. So in the beginning, the word already was, and the word was with God. And if you were going to paraphrase this again, you might say, and the word was face to face with God. It's not just saying, and the Word was with me, uh, or with God, like we might say, you know, uh, my friend was with me that day, right? But it's more face-to-face. There's an a intimacy there, a union, a relationship with God. And the Word was God. And now what do we do with that? And the Word was God. So, the Word was already in the beginning, He was with God in this happy relationship, and we hope to say more about that from the book of Proverbs, as you can see is the second point on the outline. And then we have this this statement that you might say just completely, I, I hate to use this expression, but it kind of blows our mind, doesn't it? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, if the Word is with God, and there's a relationship there, then that means there's a distinction between the Word and God. So when our text tells us, and the Word was God, it cannot possibly mean that the Word was God the Father, that they are the same person. And yet there's an identity there, isn't there? Now you see, congregation, how as the church reflected on these three words, the four words, the Word was God, years and centuries of reflection out of which came our doctrine of the Trinity. That, and there is in some sense three persons and yet one God. What does that mean? We don't know. We are up against the limits of our own understanding, aren't we? And I think we feel that, we sense that as we, as we read these words, that there's a distinction there yet and, and yet an identity. And the Word was God. Well, as we think about this question, what was before the beginning? Then we can say, at least based on these words, that there was God the Father. And again, already, already I'm using language, aren't I, from the church's reflection on this truth, on these truths, because we say there's a Father, and there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit. And we have to adopt some kind of language like that to explain, or at least to articulate, not to explain, to articulate to express in words this mystery that is before us, that the Word was God. This was the mystery then of what was before creation. There was God, the Father, there was God, the Son. And from other verses, we know there was God, the Holy Spirit. Well, there are other places then where we go in the Scriptures and we see these truths. And this repeated phrase that you find in the Bible The first point there on my outline, the foundation of the world. You will find that phrase repeatedly in the New Testament. Let me give you a few of them. God prepares a kingdom for his people from the foundation of the world. And the foundation there means the founding. So it's just another word for creation. 
It's from the creation of the world, from the founding of the world. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Uh, There we have another clue, congregation, as to what was taking place before the beginning. That not only was there a father and a son, but that there was love between them. That there was this happy relationship of intimacy and union between the father and the son. The father loves the son, and the son rejoices in the father. But at any rate, that expression, the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1 verse 20, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's referring to Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 verse 4, Just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And then in the book of, or in the, uh, the book of Revelation, we have two references to the Lamb's book of life, which was written in before the foundation of the world. So before the beginning, before the foundation of the world, there was God the Father and God the Son. Well, let's move on then to that next point there in Proverbs 8, because isn't it uh, astounding that we would turn to the book of Proverbs to learn something about this. But you know, congregation, that the book of Proverbs is often referred to as a wisdom book. It is a book that gives us practical wisdom about life. But now Solomon in Proverbs 8 and verse 22, he takes that concept of wisdom and he personifies it. In other words, he he begins to think of wisdom as a person. But what kind of person? And if you look with me at Proverbs 8 and verse 22, from everlasting I was established from the beginning, from the earliest, I'm sorry, verse 22 is, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. Now look at that, before his works of old. Well, that's the title of our sermon this morning, right? Before the beginning. So the Lord possessed me, that is the Lord possessed wisdom at the beginning of his way, before his work of creation. Now, there's nothing unusual there until you come to verse 23. From everlasting, I was established. Now, this is wisdom talking. Again, wisdom as a person. From everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Congregation, what does this sound like? As I read this, it sounds very much like in the beginning was the Word. That before God's creative work, God had wisdom. And not just wisdom as an attribute, but wisdom as a person with Him. And before all these things happened, before there were springs bounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth, no earth and fields, nor the first dust of the world, And verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. 
Again, that's why I say that God in, in, in the book of Proverbs here is not just talking about wisdom as an attribute, like we might say, he's a wise man, right? But now he's talking about wisdom as a person. And you see that in verse 29, uh, in verse 30, verse 30, Proverbs 8 and verse 30, then I was beside him as a master workman. Many translations will translate that as an architect. And so you see that wisdom is personified and becomes a person. I was daily his delight, it says in verse 30, rejoicing always before him. Remember from John 17, we saw that there was love between the Father and Son. But here there's this word of rejoicing. And the word there is a, is a, is a, uh, a word that is sometimes used in Scripture to refer to the playing of children. They're rejoicing, they're happy. And the Father and the Son are rejoicing in each other's love and in each other's presence. There's this intimate relationship between them of happiness and joy. Now, I also provided for you these different translations. And let me just say a word about that, because it is interesting to understand how these translations come to be. But notice Proverbs 8, verse 22, which we read to you before. But notice that the original American Standard Version, which was done in 1901, has Jehovah possessed me in the beginning of his way. Now that original uh, translation, from which our translation comes, used the word Jehovah every time the Hebrew Yahweh was used in the original text. When the translation was updated in 1977, you can see that they changed that to the word Lord in all capitals. Right? You can see that's the next box there, the NASB 1977. The only change they made was to make Jehovah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Everything else is, is the same. And then you come to the update that was done in 1995. Now, uh, this is just inf interesting information. In 1977, the translators also stopped using the pronouns thee and thou as it was used in 1901. The ASV 1901 sounds very much like the King James Version, if you read it. But in, in the 1977 update, they stopped using the pronouns you, uh, thee, and thou, except for prayers. In the NASB 1977, whenever there's a prayer, the uh, older English pronouns are used, thee and thou. In the 1995 update, they got rid of those two, and now it's, it was all you, and your, but notice that in our text here, no change has been made. Now, lately, there's been an update to the NASB again in 2020. And you can see that now the translators have switched, the Lord created me at the beginning of his way. So you see the change from the Lord possessed me to the Lord created me at the beginning of his way. Now, why did they do that? Now, that's interesting because... Uh, you have actually in Hebrew a homophone. A homophone is a word that is pronounced or spelled the same, but has a completely different meaning. Right? We have these words in, in English too. Right? They're, they're pronounced or spelled exactly the same, but they have different meanings. And this is what these uh, biblical scholars have discovered, that word possessed. And so they've changed. Uh, and actually most of the translations now have created me. Now you ask yourself, is that an improvement? And what meaning does that really give us when it says the Lord created me, that is wisdom, at the beginning of his way? 
And I have to say that I, I find that to be a profoundly uh, puzzling. How that's an improvement, I don't understand. Now, if, it, if the word was created, that's fine. We don't change the word of God. If it created is what it says, created is what it is. But again, if you have this, this option between possessed, which has a perfectly understandable meaning, right? That the Lord possessed wisdom. It was part of him. Okay? Or that uh, he created wisdom, which gives us the idea that at one point he didn't have wisdom, but then God created wisdom, which, which, which leads to a, a, a terrible idea. So I, I don't see that as, a, as an improvement. And I, again, I just bring this up because it's important, I think, that we read these translations with understanding. Uh, the NESB 2020 uh, also made other improvements, no doubt. Uh, you'll also know that the 2020 version uh, brought in the gender-inclusive language so that when the Bible's talking about brothers, the NESB 2020 will now say brothers and sisters. Now, I could say much more about that if you like sometime. But again, I did want to bring that to your attention as I noticed that in my study. Now, the important point for us then is that what you have in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Right? You can see how that takes its, its line of thinking directly from Proverbs 8, verse 22 and following. Where, the, where God talks through Solomon that before the beginning, before the foundation of the world, God had wisdom. He possessed wisdom, not as an attribute. Yes, He does have it as an attribute too but as a person that was with him and they were rejoicing in each other's presence. Very clearly, isn't it, that we have a reference then to God before the beginning. And then we have the summary here. And I love this quote from Arthur Pink. In Arthur Pink's book, The, the Attributes of God, the very first chapter is called The Solitariness of God. And congregation, that's really what I want to bring before you this morning, is to think about God before there was anything else. Read this quote with me, if you would. There was a time, says Pink, if time it could be called, when God in the unity of his nature, though subsisting equally in three divine persons, dwelt all alone. In the beginning, God. There was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels to hymn his praises. No universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one, but God. And that not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. During a past eternity, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. Had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way, they also had been called into existence from all eternity. The creating of them when he did added nothing to God, essentially. He changes not. Therefore, his essential glory can be neither augmented nor diminished." I love that quote. I love that quote. That's so humbling in one sense to read that, isn't it? And you ask yourself, then why did God create the world? If he had the Lord Jesus Christ, if he had the divine wisdom as a person, they were rejoicing in each other's presence. The Holy Spirit was there. They needed nothing. They wanted nothing. 
They lack nothing. Why then did God create? And we find the answer to that again in John 1 and verse 14. And in a word, congregation, glory. Glory. Notice what we read in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. That means we saw the glory of Jesus Christ. The word, the wisdom. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Of course he existed before John, because he existed from eternity. And we have, for of his fullness, we have all received upon grace for grace. And drop down to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Congregation, and again I tread very carefully here. Why did God create? Not because he had to. Not because he needed something. But just that his glory might overflow. And that other people might see it. And to accomplish that purpose... He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be a reflection of his own glory. Right? For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten God, Jesus, the Word, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has come and he has explained, maybe he has revealed him. He has manifested him to his creation. So the glory of God, as it were, runs over. It's displayed. And God needed a world. He needed people to see it. And he created what he created. Now the old theologians, they would always make a distinction here. And it's a very important distinction. I gave it to you there between God's essential glory and his declarative glory. God's essential glory, it never changes. It is not added to or taken away from. God is in eternity past. He will continue on into eternity future. And no one can, he needs nothing. His glory cannot be diminished. It cannot be added to. But his declarative glory, that can be increased. And God can display his glory to one or to a thousand or to a million. And congregation, this is what God does. He takes his glory and he sends his only begotten son to this world to give us a glimpse of his glory that his glory might overflow to the nations. Well, congregation, uh, what, a, what a truth is given us here in the scriptures this morning. And I begin my points of application by that question, does God need us? And you know, I, I smile as I explain this because there's something so beautiful about this. I know that many people would find this offensive or insulting, but to the Christian it's just pure beauty that God does not need us. You are not the center of the universe. Neither am I. Neither are any of us. You exist for God's glory. God wants you to see his glory and to rejoice in it, to bask in it, to love it. He wants you to rejoice in him 
the way the wisdom rejoices in the presence of God the Father. And that's why God created us. You don't add anything to God, not essentially, except in his declarative glory or his manifestative glory that we add to because we see it and we rejoice in it. God created for his simple good pleasure. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or that he doesn't care for us, right? That he could just take you and leave you, right? That, that's, don't misunderstand me now, right? But it simply means that God is complete in himself and you don't add anything to him. And his glory overflows to the delight of his people. Does God need us? And the, and, the, and the joyful, the happy answer is he does not. Is that a happy answer for you this morning, dear friend? Or does your pride keep you from accepting this very humbling truth? I move to my second point of application because it's really not that much different, right? Living for God's glory. What does that mean? What does that mean when we live for God's glory? Congregation, it's essential that we understand this. That living for God's glory doesn't mean that we add to his glory, that somehow we make him more glorious than he was when he started. Right? God is in his essential glory cannot be added to. But living for God's glory means that we manifest his glory, that we radiate it. First of all, that we embrace it and rejoice in it ourselves, and that we, we, we rejoice in it, and that we manifest it. That we are shining lights of God's glory in this world. Now, that's what God sent Jesus to do in the first place. Now, I'm not saying that's the only thing Jesus came to do. Although, really, in a summary, it is what Jesus came to do. But it's what Jesus came to do, and it's not what he calls us to do. Not to add to God's glory. That's foolish. It's impossible. And what a happy thing that is, congregation, that God now calls us just to manifest it, just to declare it. And to bring other people to see it. The old uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism says, What is the chief end or purpose of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And you know, I think, uh, is it John Piper who says that you could understand that as man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. How do we glorify God? By enjoying Him here and in eternity. And by that, we take God's glory and we reflect it and we declare it to the nations. My friends, lastly, correcting our thinking. And in one sense, I think back to last Sunday's sermon. Remember we said, uh, there is none like the God of Jeshurun. There is none like the God of Jeshurun. And in the same way now, congregation, there is none like the God of Israel the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And the beauty and, the, and the, why this is so helpful for us to think about before the beginning is it corrects our thinking about God. It makes us pray differently. It makes us think differently about Him. We no longer think of God, uh, and pardon the expression, as, a, as sort of a divine uh, old man up there who who tends to our every need and, 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 and hands out gifts as we desire them. right? But now we see God as the great sovereign, as the great king. He doesn't need us. We don't add anything to him. 
He's sufficient all on his own. And right away then you see this, our thinking about God gets realigned. And we start to see God as God. We begin to think of God as the sovereign king. A congregation, who can, who can possibly imagine then the meaning of these words that we had in, in John 1? When, when we think of who God is, the sovereign king, all-sufficient, and yet we read in John 1 verse 16, for of his fullness we have all received. That is, all believers have received. That majesty, that immensity. And now he comes down, and of his fullness we receive. You know, when I was at the uh, museum, and the Creation Museum, we went to the planetarium, and one of the staggering things that they show you there is they, they give you a view of the, of the Earth as a globe, right? Lo rotating there with the planets. <clears throat> and then perhaps some of you have seen this. And then they back out. They back out to the solar system. They back out farther so that you just see the sun. And they back out farther to the cluster of stars that the sun is in. And farther to the Milky Way galaxy. And farther, and they keep stepping back and back and back until finally you see you know, groups of galaxies until finally you're, you're just staggered at the immensity of this universe that we live in, congregation. It is unbelievable. It is unfathomable. And to God, this is just a, 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 a dust in His hand. This is God. What are we? I, I, I just sat in my chair thinking, we're the, we're the tiniest speck of dust. We're completely invisible. Why, even if you just back out to, to, the, to the Milky Way galaxy, the, 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 the solar system cannot even be seen. How small we are. What a trifle we are. And again, so many people are, 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 find that rather unsettling. But as Christians, it's just such a happy thing to think how vast this universe is. Utterly incomprehensible. And yet we sit here as God's creatures, the tiniest speck in the universe, and of His fullness, congregation, of His fullness we receive. He gives part of His fullness to us. And yet you see the vastness of this creation, and you're, you're, you, you just have to drop to your knees and to say, hallelujah, praise God for all what He is for His people, and all what He does for this tiny speck of spinning dust in the universe. The earth is not even at the center of the universe like the old ancients used to think. We're just the fourth planet, is it, in the solar system, rotating around a star of given size in a certain universe, somewhere in the Milky Way. And that's all we are, congregation. But our God sits on the throne of the heavens. He sits on the throne of the heavens. He rules and he orchestrates the events of everything, every star, to his own purpose. Uh, sometimes you just have to be quiet to reflect on what that means. And what a comfort that can give you too to the, to the bulk of the families you think of your beloved husband and father being taken from you. That the God who sits in the heavens saw his child 
and took him. Took him to himself. Whatever that means. Glory to God in the highest. I won't read that quote to you from A.W. Tozer. I've brought that quote to you before, but you can read that on your own. It's a beautiful, beautiful quote. And uh, again, it talks about correcting our thinking about God. But may God bless these words to us, congregation. Let us pray. Lord, we are staggered at how small we are. And I pray that as we leave this building today, that we would taste and experience and feel something of how small we are and how great you are. That you sit on the circle of the universe, wherever that is. You sit on the throne and not a sparrow falls from the sky without your knowledge. All the hairs of our head are numbered. And then we see the planets, the sun, the solar system, the galaxy, the galaxies, and the vast expanse of this universe. And Lord, we say, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. Oh God, give us a sense of it today. And grant that we would not be resentful of it, but that we would be humbled by it, to fall on our face before you and to say, Lord, who are we? What is our house that you have visited us? Lord, I pray that we might receive of your fullness then this day and that even this thought of before the beginning would be a little drop of that fullness that could fall into our soul today and bless us and humble us and give us, Lord, a a new courage and a new zeal to go out and to serve this God while we live. Lord, I do pray that also these thoughts would give comfort to the mourning family today and this week, to the glory of your great name and the spread of your glory, the manifestation of your glory to the ends of the earth. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.